J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm very honored to have on the show Larry Mufu. He's from Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas. Now, Larry spent most of his life in broadcasting, both in radio and television. In previous chats, Larry has talked to me about some of the people he's interviewed and now finds himself the other way around, actually being interviewed himself, which is a different role for him. He's written his debut book, Country Folk, which consists of three short stories, everybody. It's about rural life in Arkansas back in the early 1900s and also what two of his brothers got up to in the 1950s. So without further ado, let's invite Larry onto the show to talk about his book and a little about himself. Larry, come and join me. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. Oh, it's a complete pleasure. And, you know, when I've looked at your book, I'm thinking, wow, there's been some interesting little chit-chats here, especially about some of the family members. There's a lot Let's... of stories there, yes. Oh, absolutely. So, Larry, you've spent 40 years in broadcasting. So why now the book and why the content? And is this book really very close to your heart? It is very close to my heart, John. Uh... The story that got me started was uh, The First Frost. Uh, my mother related that story to me years ago. And, uh, you know, people today, sometimes we complain because we don't have this or we don't have this. We don't have any pair of shoes. They only had one pair of shoes a year. And most of the time it came uh, when the first frost came. You know, the little toes would be cold, cold, cold. Oh, yeah. And it was really exciting because Christmas was much different than it is now. Uh, the, the presents that they got for Christmas was usually an apple or an orange and maybe a couple of pieces of hard candy. That was it. So the shoes were a great gift compared to what they got at Christmas. So it was really anticipating, you know, that first frost, you know. Uh, Nettie, when she was walking, and Nettie was my mother, by the way, she she pulled her fingers up those blades of grass to see if there was a little bit of ice in them because she was wanting it so badly. But uh, when she uh, finally got to that, that the shoes were only about $2.95 to $3 and a quarter back then. And there were uh, a lot of different uh, varieties to choose from. You got what they had. And when she went to the store, they didn't have a size to fit her. I know. She was heartbroken over that. She was, wasn't she? Um, so from the initial concept of the book to actually getting the physical book into your hands, how long did that take? I wrote the first frost, I think, in 2013. So it sat there for seven years. And when I retired from broadcasting, I was kind of bored. But, you know, I've written all my life. I, I, and, and radio, I, I wrote news stories continuously. So I've been writing really ever since high school. My first story I wrote, I think I was in the 11th grade in high school, but uh, I never really thought about publishing. I had people tell me back then when I read my first story, you should be a writer. But I was 
too interested in broadcasting at that time to really think about being serious about it. The three stories. I'm fascinated with the speech marks um, because you've gone back to like local dialect, you know, local sayings. Was that done deliberately to make the stories authentic? It was, John, but on the other hand, you know, being born in 1950, I caught some of this dialect. In fact, I still hear people doing it that live in the country now. And I really didn't think of it as being Elizabethan type dialogue. And uh, I, I wrote that because that's how people really talk to a degree. Some people talked with more of a dialect than actually what I had written. I had, a, I had my editor, a sweet lady named uh, Judy Bonds, uh, was looking at it and she's, I've got trouble with this dialect, you know. I, it's hard for people to understand. And I said, well, that's the way that people really talked back then. Yeah. And I went by, back and modified it a little bit, but it was very much, uh, very much dialect from everyone. And, you know, Today, uh, even years ago, they would call someone who talked with the dialect like that a hillbilly. You know, they were country people. They were from the backwoods, the rural areas. And slowly, it, it's, it's dissipated. And when I was in broadcasting, in fact, I was in college, and I really didn't know how to pronounce thing. The people here, it was thang. And it was, was not get, it was get. We're going to get it. So it, the dialect is something that... Uh, it really existed. I wanted to do it to separate the characters, of course, but I, uh, I wanted it to be pretty authentic to what they actually did. Well, of course, I mean, say in the States, you know, um, uh, rural people are referred to as hillbillies, aren't they? Over here in the UK, a bit of like, like country bumpkins. Yes. So, different sayings, but this is the same sort of rural people. Can I get to the first story? Because uh, I quite like this one, but I have to say to you that the, the first Frost was my favorite. But I'm going to talk about Sadie first of all. Now, the first story, this is the longest story in the book. And I understand, you know, Sadie's based on a true life of one of your aunts and what she went through, experienced uh, at the hands of, how shall I say, an unloving father, perhaps a cruel father. But equally, a, a kind uncle, Uncle Taddy. So life was hard, wasn't it, for uh, country folk back in Arkansas, back in 1912? Yes, it was very difficult. Uh, I, I, after I had written the story and published the book, I found a, uh, a writing that my mother did. I, I was always concerned about uh, things that happened back then, things that I'd missed. I wanted to know about it. And my siblings, uh, they had it much more difficult than I ever had it. Hmm. My mother wrote all these uh, details about things that happened. She said they never went without food. Uh, and a lot of people did. And she did later in her life when, after she grew up and got married, um, sometimes food was very scarce. But um, the, the difficulty with uh, what mother pointed out was my grandfather was, was mean. Hmm. He would flop the handle. He would uh, beat his livestock. According to my mother, she said that she was more meek. She and the younger, youngest sister didn't talk back. They called it sassing. Hmm. But, but Sadie and uh, her older half-brother would talk back to our grandfather. 
And when that happened, it was it was bad. You would have a, a an outburst of anger. In fact, I had heard Mother say more than one time that he has seen him grab Sadie by the hair and bang her head against the, uh, the smokehouse door. Uh, they were, were required to work. They couldn't sit in on the, uh, the laptop or the, the iPhone and, and play all day. They had to get out and do something. They had no electricity. They had no television. Of course, it wasn't around at that time. Uh, no radios because the first radios didn't start coming out until the 20s. They entertained themselves, didn't they? I debated, John, over whether to change the names because of uh, how it looked to my grandfather. And, and I talked to my siblings, you know, what do you think about it? Do you think I should change that name? Yeah. One of our brothers says, I don't think any of our family would have any difficulty with that. And after thinking about it, I realized that this was his legacy that he left, and it wasn't a good one. Yeah. I don't want to give the game away because the whole idea of the um, chat is just to give people a flavor of the book. Right, yeah. It's a fascinating story, and it's a bittersweet story, um, you know, from the, her father through to, and then the kind uncle, you know, Uncle Tally, um, which, you know, you know, him and his wife, you know, and the story there, you know, when they find her in the barn, you know, it's just absolutely wonderful. They're heartwarming um, feeling for her and looking after her. But I have to say, Larry, out of the three um, stories, the one that's for me, uh, because I can resonate with it, is the second story, The First Frost. This is the story, as you've said, it's the story about your mother, Nettie. Yes. And, you know, they're from the uh, Washita Mountains. They're poor. They're very poor. And a lot of the, fa- you know, the families, when I've done my research there, they were large families. They were poor families. Uh, they didn't have much. And one of the reasons why this story resonates with me is because it relates back to my own grandmother, who, um, like yourself, she was from a large family. She was one of 12, and you're one of 11. You're the 11th sibling, but I think she was the second. And they were from Ireland. And they often went without no shoes uh, for a long time. And they, only, they were lucky if they got shoes in the wintertime. And this is what this story is about, isn't it? It's yes. they were barefooted, poor, and her dream was to get a pair of shoes for the winter. Yes. And those shoes back in those days only lasted a few months. By the time spring came around, they were worn out and they went barefoot up until the next frost. I love the little bit, you know, when they go off on a Saturday morning into the local town and her brother um, sort of sidelines her on the way, you know, down the dirt tracks as they're heading off with the horse and cart uh, with their father into town. And, he, you know, and he's always often he hijacks and plays tricks on her, doesn't he? Yes, he was. He was uh, a little mischievous, as most boys are at that age. Uh, I probably added a little bit more mischief to him than actually existed. (laughs) Why not? Why not? I've got pranks in the next one that I'm writing as well. (laughs) Oh, I know. Oh, really? I'm coming to that. Don't you worry. I'm coming to that. So for me, this was a story that I could, um, you know, relate to, particularly my own grandmother telling me the story that they went barefoot for, you know, throughout the summer and, you know, late spring. And they'd be lucky if they got a pair of shoes for the winter. And it'd probably be hand-me-downs from somebody else as well. 
And they only lasted a few months because they weren't well made in those days. I want to go to the um, the final story because these are short stories and I don't want to give too much away. I just want to give listeners and viewers just a, a flavor of what's in this um, endearing book of yours, Larry. Now, the third story, everybody, is Tinker, Tot and Doodobber. Now, I think, I know you're laughing here and I know you're laughing, Tinker and Tut are your, some of your older brothers. Am I right? That's correct, yes. yes. Uh, Tut is uh, five years older than me, and Tinker is uh, eight years older than me. Ah. Now, this story, I believe, was set in, uh, what, 1955? About 1955, yes. When you were five years old? And a lot of people can remember, particularly in the rural communities, that, you know, in those days, still the farming community, the rural communities, they were relatively poor and there were large families. And I can remember my grandmother saying to me, you know, they slept two or three to a bed. And looking at the story here of Tinker Tut and Doodubber, they slept two or three to a bed, didn't they? Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, until I was a, um, I think it was in my early teens when I actually got a bed by myself. Most of the time it was three in a bed. So this story um, is all about, you know, because Arkansas in a bit like uh, Oklahoma and Tennessee, they can get some bad storms that blow through the area. And the, you know, the surges from the local creeks, we call them rivers over here. Um, these, these creeks, they can swell and they become quite dangerous. And of course, this is the misadventure story of the three boys. Now, I believe Doodobber was a friend. He was, a, right? he was a next door neighbor, yes. And this is the short story of the day the three boys went to a misadventure down by uh, Brooker Creek. Am I right? Yes, they were absolutely. Uh, but here, uh, a, a river, I'm not sure exactly the, what is classified as a river from a creek, but the creeks are smaller. But when this occurred, that creek became a river. It was really, really rolling. And along this creek, uh, from the years of being swollen and flooding, it, there were huge boulders that had been uh, sticking up out there in the water. And when that water would hit them, it would be a powerful surge upward. And they wanted to swim it. And the real thing about the story, when it was all finished, I said, man, that was fun. What can we do now? <laughs> but they nearly didn't get out of it, did they? They nearly didn't. Mother had a lot of kids, so she didn't have time to, to watch them like we require to be done these days. Uh, kids were pretty much on their own, and they were uh, in a position that uh, the younger ones all, all were always looked over by the older ones. You know, they, they kind of took care of their sibling. But in this case, uh, there was a little bit of lapse in <laughs> staying out of danger. Parentage, yeah. Tinker and Tut are nicknames for your brothers, aren't they? Yes, uh, Tinker's real name is Bob or Bobby. And uh, Tut's real name is Terry. Right. And, and when I, I had 
one of my brothers to, I said, call Hoyt and see if it's okay if I use his name in the story. And he called him up and, uh, and he said, he didn't even remember it. <laughs> my brothers did because they were scared to death. I don't know if he ever did, but he, he let me use his name anyway. So I was happy about that. Well, he was the one that kept his pants on, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yes. And uh, mm. part of the way when he got out the, the river, I think you're, they were kind of hanging down a little bit, <laughs> but he was worried about it. <laughs> Nothing like skinny dipping in the river or the creek, as they say in America. So that third story was really about the, you know, the three boys, you know, the two brothers and their friend messing around on the, the local creek. And of course, the frost story, the first frost is your mother's story about her shoes and uh, Sadie is your aunt. So these short stories that you very cleverly put together are, um, they're things from your past, aren't they? Yes, they are. They're, they're stories that are passed down. I don't think that we should forget our past. I don't think we should forget the people that were strong enough to go through it, the poverty, mm. the, the uh, doing without, and still have a good attitude, still come out of it as a decent person. And my mother, even after all the hard times that she went through, and her marriage to my father was difficult for her, she still was a great woman. She was a great mother. She loved her children. Uh, she might have loved us too much sometimes, but it wasn't, you know, going out and buying us anything because she didn't have any money. Even when I was a, a teenager, you know, she gave me a buck to go down and buy a hamburger. You know, I, I felt like, you know, hey, I've got some money. Mm. I even looked up uh, online, how much was $100 in 1930 compared to now? So how much? $100 in 1930 would be like you had $1,600 in your pocket now. There you go. It was a lot back then. It was a lot. Yes. I'm intrigued, Laris, to the dedication of the book. And I'm going to go right. here. It says, to all the people who struggle with few complaints, who work hard, hold on to their faith and find contentment in the end. How poignant a statement is that to you? How what? How poignant is that statement to you? Very much so. Um, there's been times in my life, you know, that I would complain about this or that, or, you know, I didn't have this or enough of that, but it humbles me a little bit. You know, it, it, it makes me look and think, I wish I were that strong. I wish I were that convicted to, to make something out of myself. You don't have to be rich. That, you know, my, my, my mother was never rich. But as far as character? She was rich in character. She was very rich in character. Um, it's like my grandmother. She didn't have much money. Um, yes, she, she lived in Manhattan in New York uh, for part of her life, but she didn't have much money. But she was a great character. She was very rich in character. And the stories that she used to tell us especially about the shoes. And that's why the second story I've loved. Because I could relate. I appreciate that. I do. There was a, a, a lady who wrote a, a, a review on, on country and her review, and I really didn't write it for the young adult audience, but she said, you know, young adults need to read this because maybe it would give them a dose of humble. Mm -hmm. And 
I think we all need to be humble at times, you know? Oh, absolutely. You also say in your dedication, um, you'd like to mention Pete Austin, who I assume you lent on for the historical knowledge that this guy had. Yes, I did. His real name was Marvin, and everybody called him Pete. Uh, he was the superintendent at Langley Schools for years. And he knew all the backgrounds of people and families, and he, he could remember the, the, what Langley looked like. You know, right now it's, it's, it's one uh, rock store that has been closed for years. I never knew that Langley had three stores until I sat down and talked to him. We sat down one day after he'd retired, he and his wife um, were, were really sweet people. And he liked to drink Canadian mist. So I bought a bottle of Canadian mist and took it down to him. And we sat in his living room and I had my little tape recorder. <laughs> my Canadian mist. And I listened to him talk. He gave me the, the description of what the town was like. He gave me people's names. And I was like Uncle Bud. He wasn't anybody's uncle, but, you know, everybody called him that, you know. Um, the... Black Jim Jones and the Red Jim Jones and the Naughty Neck Jim Jones. You know, he told me about those people, how you identify. You know, there were probably a hundred people in the whole community and it was spread out over miles, but yet three men had the same name. And I uh, was saying, you know, if, if you're going to be sitting on the bench in front of the store listening to these stories, you got to know which Jim Jones are talking about. So the young man had, um, or whatever on the back of his neck, and he was Naughty Neck Jim. And the other guy had a real red face, and he was uh, Red Jim Jones. And uh, the other guy, they called Black Jim because he had moved into the area from Oklahoma. And uh, it, it wasn't because of a color of his skin. It was because of his heart. He was a bad man. He was. Yeah. I wrote a song uh, about Black Jim Jones. And uh, one of the lines in there was uh, he was not called black from the color of his skin, but the low down condition, his condition was in, which was pretty summary. But Pete was a wealth of information. He was such a man. He married uh, into a um, uh, close relation of family. We're, uh, his children are uh, my third or fourth cousins, I think. But he was a, he was a wonderful man. Larry, where can people get your book? Uh, they can, the ebook is available at amazon.com. Uh, the paperback and the PDF version is available at my website. It's Larry K Morphew, M-O-R-P-H-E-W dash author.com. Do you have any more books in the pipeline? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have one uh, with the working title of, um, the prophet of Willow Bend. And it is, uh, it's fiction, but uh, I've incorporated some stories that were passed down from my older brother. But this is, uh, again, growing up in a poor part of Arkansas. Uh, the three brothers are all teenagers, very close in age, uh, 13, 14 months between them. Mm. And they have some uh, pretty wild adventures similar to, to my brothers 
Well, do you know, Larry, it's been a, a wonderful experience. It's been an absolute honor talking to you about your book. Um, his book is called Country Folk, everybody. It's for those who love, uh, I think, you know, bygone days, especially those who stem from rural backgrounds anywhere in the world, but possibly more so for uh, folk whose heritage is deeply rooted in America's deep south. This is a book I think you're all going to love. So, Larry Morfu, thank you for joining me today on Talking Books. It's been a great pleasure, and I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I found it very engaging and, at times, very touching. Larry, thank you. Thank you, John. A pleasure. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. Everybody, stay safe.